You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, did you know that James Madison was the smallest of all the presidents? He was only five foot four and weighed less than 100 pounds. Really, less than 100 pounds. That's what it says here in my presidential trivia, which we'll be reading all episode long due to President's Day. No, no I know how you enjoy President's Day. I love a co-main event podcast that goes down on President's Day. No one gets more excited for Chad's President's Day President's Trivia than Chad himself. Oh, man. I'm pumped. I'm fired up. Where are, you, where are your kids today? What are you doing with your kids? Everyone's out of school. Yeah. Right now, they're with my wife. I think the plan is to go to the mall. Maybe go to Claire's. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pick up some jewelry? Yeah. My oldest daughter's very excited about that. Has been talking about it for roughly two weeks. Uh, kind of limited the things you can do today because we woke up to major snowfall overnight. Finally. Got to the point. I got an alert on my phone that was like, hey, it's getting crazy out there. That's right. Yeah. Just I got the really same alert. really uncommon from Montana. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're finally getting some weather. I was, I've been wearing my Allbirds all damn winter, which is disconcerting. Here in Montana today, had to break out the uh, the Sorrells, get outside, tramp through the snow. I also, you, you probably saw this on Twitter, but not only did I shovel my own walk, I shoveled the walk of the next door neighbors who act like they hate us. So fucking take that, motherfuckers. So wait, the way you're phrasing this suggests that you you performed an act of kindness, yeah, but like aggressively, right up in their face. I look forward to many years of friendly relations between you and this neighbor because it sounds like it's going great. I'm right waiting now. for them to come outside and have to thank me because that, oh man, that's they're going to be steamed about that. I feel like you might be going about this the wrong way. Most of you know by now that my novel The Blaze is hot off the presses and out there in the world. You can go get it wherever fine books are sold. I'd love it if you would. It's a mystery, a thriller. I think you're going to like out. Like it, run out and grab the blade today on whatever format you like to do your reading. Remember, if you have read it and you did enjoy it, please also go leave me a five-star review on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you like. Those reviews do help the book. So do me a favor, buy, read, rate, and review the blaze wherever is best for you. I would appreciate it. Also, don't forget that you can run out and get your CME logo t-shirts right now over at CottonBureau.com. We got those for sale. We got Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts for sale. We got Dundas. Also, t-shirts for sale. They're always available on demand all the time whenever you want them. Just go over to CottonBarrow.com and drape those old bones and some CME merchandise today. We got music this week from our guy, Ras Jarborg, longtime listener of the show. If you like what you hear from him on this episode, you can check out more over at SoundCloud.com slash A-S-T-H-L-M Ross. Stockholm Ross. I know you've been dying to say something over there. I had to get through my spiel. What do you got? Uh, I have several different reports for you from people who have read your book and told me about it. All right. For one thing, both my parents, both of my parents, they're on vacation in Florida. They read your book. Both of them read it. That's right. They both gave did it. Did they have their own copies or did they share a copy? I believe they shared a copy. Okay, well that can get that can get dicey. 
My dad walked right down there to Fact and Fiction downtown, bought his to support local booksellers. That's how you do it. And they both read it. Both said that they enjoyed it thoroughly. Also, our friend Sam, who I play hockey with. Oh, yeah. I see Sam over at the brewery pretty frequently. He read it, as did his wife and her book club. She was going to suggest it to her book club before she could even get out the suggestion. One of the other women in the book club said, hey, I I knew this guy in high school. Worked on the, the high school newspaper with him. Let's read his novel. Nice. She might have even mentioned that she was a little sweet on your boy back in the day. Oh, now I need a name. going to need names. Then we're talking about a little more after last night's hockey game. And she's like, you know, I was wondering like, oh, hey, like, wouldn't it be crazy if we could actually get Chad to come down to the book club? But that would never happen. And I was like, no, look, hey, there's not that many requests for this kind of thing. You could probably make it happen. I could probably help you make it happen. I tell everybody when I find out they're doing the book for the book club, I always ask, like, do you want me to come to the book club? Only if you don't think it would be weird. like, no, absolutely not. If you're going to sit around and trash the book, then I might as well stay home. But, like, if you want me, I'll be there. I told her that the most important deciding factor for you getting down there to the book club would be, what time is the book club? More importantly, what time does it usually wrap up? Yeah. She said you could be out of there by 9 o'clock easy. Okay, I could do that. I could definitely do that. Okay, let's in, make in this happen. In bed by 9.30. Chad Dennis will come to your personal book club, but only if you're going to be nice to him. Ben, President John Tyler played the violin, loved to dance, spoke softly, and had good manners. See, that's – is that really the good manners thing? That's subjective. Does that really count as like a presidential fact? This U.S. presidential trivia, by the the way, coming to us courtesy of White House Inn Bangor, Maine, whitehouseinn.com. Wait, from the Best Western chain. It's a it's a hotel's website. Yeah, it just has a list of presidential <laughs> trivia. So I'm just reading them. So this is really heavily vetted stuff, in other Franklin words. Franklin Pierce was the first president to have a Christmas tree in the White House. Okay. That's... Okay, that's legitimate trivia right there. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Jan Blokovic crashes the light heavyweight title picture and gets his moment to point and yell through the cage at John Jones. Somewhere in Southern California, Dominic Reyes paused with a mouthful of takeout noodles and was like, wait, what's going on now? And in round number two, Diego Sanchez, what on earth are you doing? And in round number three, the UFC heads back to Auckland, New Zealand for the first time since 2017 with a main event pitting Paul Felder against Dan Hooker. No joke here, just a plain spoken statement of verifiable facts. And in, and all that plus, are you fucking kidding me? I almost did round four. I almost went and in round four. We don't do round four. No, not usually. Not all the time. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Brandon Boyd, who writes, Tony Ferguson posed this question on Twitter. So this is a question from Tony Ferguson by way of Brandon Boyd. Okay. I was hoping you gentlemen would discourse. Watching NBA All-Star Weekend, and it's always so sick. Got me wondering, though, what can we do to add to International Fight Week? What's our version of the dunk contest and three-point contest? What skills challenges can we do? What celeb games can we do? Celebrity BJJ matches, question mark? Okay, if this really came from Tony Ferguson, it sounds like one of those things where he he maybe has an answer in mind. 
he of the weirdo crazy workouts that only Tony Ferguson can do. He's like, hey, I don't know, maybe we could have a thing where we see which UFC lightweights are badass enough to do a clean and jerk while balancing on a yoga ball. Yeah. I don't know. I was just a thought. I think maybe people would enjoy seeing which guy is totally awesome and could do that. Now, see, I don't know if Brandon Boyd edited this for content, but it doesn't look like Tony Ferguson to me because uh, all of the it's, – it's correctly capitalized throughout. Yeah. Well, Not and, every word is capitalized, which is – And there's no hashtag tags about champ shit only or whatever so i don't know who knows if this actually came from tony ferguson but you know what i actually don't hate the idea no we've been talking for a while about how you know the ufc seemed to figure out sort of a tried and true format for all of its stuff and has been kind of sticking to that for a long period of time some might say too long a period of time i think international fight week might be a good excuse to get out there and try some different stuff do some you know some fun stuff for fans that that might draw a little attention as well well, you know the UFC loves a punch machine. They do, yeah. Like something that can register punching power. So you get one of those out there. I love the celebrity BJJ matches. I love the idea you take some UFC fighter, maybe somebody. You know what? Let's take Demian Maya. Okay. Let's get let's Demian Maya out the there, top. and let's line up like five different celebrities who actually seriously grapple, like Ashton Kutcher. And there's a bunch of others, right? Yeah, the guy from uh, Married with Children, Al Bundy, Al Bundy doesn't he? Ed O'Neill, do uh, the drummer from Poison. There you he's a go, pretty big BJJ guy. Okay, um, Demi and Maya has to take them all on one after another, one after another, and he has to submit them all. Like there's five of them, he's got ten minutes. Can he do it? Then what happens if he doesn't? The UFC makes a donation to their favorite charity. Sure. Once again, we're working against charity here. In these mixed martial arts <laughs> the, competitions. The one thing we want to do is avoid giving money to charity. Yeah, something like that. I mean, you and I are as cynical as it comes Like when you start to get into potential PR events that the UFC could put together. And yet, yeah. if you heard they were doing something like that, that's hashtag would watch. Oh, Damian Maia against Al Bundy? Hell yeah, I would Fuck tune in yeah. for that. Yeah. Plus some other uh, celebrity uh, hangers on? Sure, why not? I love the idea that too often we can forget when you're seeing high-level fighters against high-level fighters that they're not just a little better than amateur enthusiasts of this. They are worlds better. Yeah. And stuff like that I think is a helpful reminder. Like, cause even It's not even just like picking people out of the crowd and like, of course, Demi and Maya is going to style all over them. Pick somebody who is actually a black belt. Yeah. Like who would beat the shit out of most people in the crowd. Because of their training. And then put them against Demi Maya to see how woefully helpless they will be. And it helps you get this shit in perspective a little bit. Yeah. I'd love something. Plus then maybe we get like Valentina Shevchenko kicking bottles off people's heads or some shit like that. You know, do those little like Taekwondo targets. We could do board breaking demonstrations. We could have a good time. Oh yeah. No, I like where you're going with Light this. something on, light a cinder block on fire. Have Mike Perry come and smash it with whatever part of his body he chooses. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Next question this week comes to us from James Hawkins, who writes, When Diego Sanchez was entering the octagon like a goddamn peacock, I wondered, is Diego Sanchez the craziest motherfucker in MMA? Then I thought about what would happen if there was an eight-man one-night tournament for a CMF belt. In no particular order, fighters I would nominate are, one, Diego Sanchez, two, Tony Ferguson, three, Nick Diaz, four, the big homie Manny Newton. 
like to get a good reference to the big homie on the CME yeah, in 2020. It's been a while. It's, it's been a little, it's been a minute since we've talked about and the And we big might homie. not get another one for a while, so we better savor this one. Number five, Matt Horwich, speaking of blasts from the past. Six, Rusamar Palhara. Seven, Chris Lieben. Eight, Mayhem Miller. Is there anyone you would like to see added to this uh, prestigious tournament, and who do you think would take home the CMF belt? Well, first of all, Ben, I feel like Mike Perry is going to feel a little bit left out here. <laughs> Not to make the first draw the CMF tourney. See, as the list went on, at a certain point, I get to feeling like the CMF tournament is exploitative <laughs> in a way that a BMF tournament would not be. Yeah, yeah. And plus, you know, maybe I'm just talking too much from the heart, but would you really say Chris Lieben deserves to be in the crazy motherfucker eight-man tournament? There was a time. time. There was a time, but not now. And I would feel like if you are if you get to a point in your life where people are like, you know what, I would no longer include this guy in the crazy motherfucker tournament. Good for you. That's a good sign. That's a sign things are going well. And don't second guess whatever choices you've been making recently. Yeah. You know, we're crossing a lot of different weight class lines here, but it's hard for me not to like Tony Ferguson, especially if we had the CMF tourney today. You know, I don't think that uh, guys like Lieben and Mayhem Miller are probably bringing their A game. In 2020 to the CMF tournament, Tony Ferguson's got to be the uh, the runaway favorite here. Do you think maybe the only way to make something like this happen is we all agree not to tell them that it's the crazy motherfucker tournament? We're like, we, we've entered you in a tournament. Yeah, it's the cash money tournament. Yeah, there you go. And it's only when they start to look around and see who else is in the tournament, they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Some of these guys... Like there's like a power of attorney controlling their their personal finances. I don't know. I don't know about this. Next question this week comes to us from the Jesse White Deer, who okay. writes. So my man Brock Weaver is out here talking about how he predicted everything Kazula Vargas was going to do, except hit him with an illegal knee. <laughs> Did he borrow Jared Cannonier's power crystals for that insight? If so, shit doesn't work. He also made mention of how he wasn't upset because if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Who knew he studied Dundasso beforehand as well? My actual question is this. Is Dana White's Contender Series actually doing its intended job by bringing in good fighters with some personality. Thanks for reading my question, and have a good one, buds. You have a good one, too, with the Jesse White deer. You know what? The point about the Dana White Contender Series, yeah, kind of. It is, well, it's doing a couple different jobs. That is definitely not its only goal, as far as the UFC sees it. But right. that is a goal. And it does that fairly well, where it lets you audition not only fighters for skill, but also fighting style and personality, and then, according to... No real firm metric. Dana White's just going to pick the people he likes. Yeah. Which the the UFC loves systems like that where fighters don't know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They're just out here. They're trying to make it rain. And so they're trying to do the rain dance. And whatever you do, whatever – like you, you try to look at what has been successful in the past and you try to just repeat that. And you have no idea if you're doing the right things. But you're just desperately hoping that you can do the right series of moves and say the right stuff that get the boss's attention and then you get in. And the more vague it is, the more they'll just try anything in order to get the UFC's attention. And so the UFC definitely really likes that. And then for like the hardest of the hardcores who keep up with the Contender Series, when one of those guys shows up on a undercard of like a fight night event, it doesn't feel like, here's some guy I never heard of making his UFC de debut. It feels like, here is a guy who's... Like rise 
into prominence and into the UFC feels like something I'm emotionally invested in. Yeah, I'm always surprised how many people there are from the Dana White Contender Series, especially, you know, if you watch the prelims and stuff, it seems to me sometimes like every other person showing up is from the Dana White Contender Series series. Uh, and clearly, like, we are we are not even close to being as far into the lifespan of the Contender Series as we are into the Ultimate Fighter. So I think at this point, you can make the case that the Contender Series is doing a better job than clearly like the last or the most recent several seasons of the Ultimate Fighter of turning over what I'm sure is relatively cheap talent for the UFC. Uh, and with the the Ultimate Fighter, I think over a long period of time, it suffered from uh, just a, a like perception kind of. You know, when they started the Ultimate Fighter, they set such a hard, a high bar. Finding people like Diego Sanchez, like Forrest Griffin, like Rashad Evans. Where basically they all become guys. Yeah, Yeah. they all all those guys were really good before they got there. uh, And they all became capital G guys in the UFC. Eventually, you kind of ran through a lot of the depth in the independent scene. And then later on down the, the road, maybe you start... Not only just having so many tough winners that it's hard to keep track of them all, but you know you you end up having tough winners that aren't necessarily going to become middleweight champion or light heavyweight champion, uh, and that makes it feel a little less vital than it, what it was before. I think with the Tuesday Night Contender Series or the Dana White Contender Series, we don't have that same expectation for starters. Like, dude just won one fight, or maybe just got picked by Dana White because he liked what he saw from in the cage. So we, and have, we didn't have to sit through weeks of him confessing stuff to the camera sure. and pulling pranks, hilarious right, pranks hilarious and whatnot. Pranks. Uh, so I think like you get these people from the contender series and it's more like, okay, let's see where this goes. Let's see yeah. if this person can make it in the UFC, not necessarily with the expectations that you would have of a reality show winner. So for right now, I feel like the Tuesday night contender series is kind of doing its job. It's kind of filling that void for the UFC. And like I said before, some of what it is supposed to do, I think, is find people that don't cost a lot of money. Yes. Yeah, um, that's its main feature for the UFC is it's super cheap content, both when you originally air the Contender Series, because those people are making less than what the UFC minimum basically is. And then those people are just so happy to get a contract, you get them in the door pretty cheap. Yeah. So I think, and I think maybe one of the questions we need to ask about the Contender Series is... Are we given all these roster spots to uh, relatively low-risk investments from the Contender Series instead of going out and getting dudes like Tim Nasty or like, you know, these international uh, free agents who might cost a little bit more money but who might actually come into the UFC uh, more ready to compete for a title? Yeah, I mean, it's the difference between going out there and paying more money to buy a proven stock that has a pretty good chance of going up in value and just buying a bunch of penny stocks right. and hoping that one of them pays off. Right. Which the way the UFC's business model has been in the last five years, especially, you they're all into the penny stock business at this point. Like they want content, first and foremost. They're not that concerned about having big name fighters. Like we'll we'll end up with big name fighters in the end, one way or another. But what we really need is content, and we need to not spend a ton of money making it, and we just need to churn out hours and hours of content to fill various streaming services. The Contender Series does that. You're not that worried that, like, oh, hey, even if Tim Nasty is over there in one championship, it doesn't mean one championship is really going to take away from my viewers just because they have Tim Nasty and we don't. At the same time, if you are one of those viewers, it might behoove you to ask yourself, what and who am I watching? Yes. So that's... A lot of questions I think you could ask about Also, that. if you do have the power crystals and you're looking into the future and you see everything that the guy's going to do, 
but you don't see the illegal knee coming, you might ask if, if you got the right power crystals. I mean, those crystals, they can they can be tricksters. Yeah. Right? That's the, that's the issue, Ben, that we all run up against when you start meddling with the spirit world. Mm-hmm. When you're getting beyond the physical and into the metaphysical, you got to watch out for tricks. Tricksters. That's right. Because it's like dealing with a Greek oracle or something. It's exactly. like, oh, yeah, hey. I'll I'll tell you all the legal moves this guy has planned for you. But doesn't tell you about the grounded knee. No, he doesn't. See? Gotta watch your back. Next question comes to us from Ricky Vaughn. That'd be the uh the pitcher from Major League? I believe so. The Rick wild Vaughn? thing. Well yeah. the wild thing, yeah. He writes, I read a report from Motley Fool. Do we know what that is? Yeah, that's a like investment newsletter about stocks and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Okay. About the WWE shopping its pay-per-views the same way UFC did to ESPN. I was pretty shocked to read that the network is struggling. I figured that would be a big hit for wrestling fans. It also made me wonder how the hell Fight Pass survives and what kind of shit-eating wildmen still pay for that. But uh, the losing aspect of WWE Network saddens my hopes for a cheaper UFC pay-per-view model down the road if slash when ESPN is not happy with their return on investment on the pay-per-views. What do you guys see unfolding with all this stuff? I did not know this. WWE may be uh, trying to shop its pay-per-views around to find a uh, a provider that will give it that sweet, sweet licensing money that the UFC is getting from ESPN. It makes you wonder if, I mean, this seems to assume that it's because the WWE streaming service is not doing well. Is that true? I have no idea. Well, makes me wonder, is it because the streaming service is not doing well or is it because you look at what the UFC did and be like, okay, that's smart. That works. I like the idea of getting paid up front, whether the shit sells or not. And with everybody coming up with all their different streaming services, everybody's looking for something they can add to sweeten that offer a little bit. There's got to be somebody out there who might be interested in adding the WWE to their overall streaming portfolio. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't seem like a crazy idea to me. No, I don't think it's a crazy idea. I think, again, it obviously comes down to, like we talked about with Bellator and other independent MMA organizations a couple weeks ago, like, who are you going to find and what are they going to pay you? Like, uh, maybe you get WWE pay-per-views on DAZN or something like that. Maybe you could get it on, uh, you know, one of the copious, uh, like, ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Hulu streaming services, something like that. I don't know. Uh, I can't sit here and tell you exactly what the market is like, but it would be interesting if WWE kind of has to backtrack from the initial move of of moving everything behind its own paywall because it was considered you know, somewhat forward looking and it was perceived to be kind of a risk for them to do that in the first place. So if it's not necessarily working out, maybe that's uh maybe that shows you that what the UFC did was in fact the smarter move. Yeah. Although doesn't, I, I will also be interested to know when ESPN will kind of step back and be like, okay, here's what we would have expected to get from our deal with the UFC at this point. Did yeah. we get there? Because right yeah. now they sound like they're pretty happy. With Everybody it. seems just like happy as clowns. Happy as clowns, huh? But as we've seen, the way the UFC's relationships in these these kind of departments tend to go, people don't always stay friends that long. That's true. And we're still relatively early into the... Uh, into the UFC ESPN relationship. Yeah. So who knows uh uh where that leads eventually once you once you get to the end of it. You you find with some of these UFC business deals by the end not everybody is uh slapping backs. Yeah. And kissing each other's babies or whatever. 
This last question, cheeseburger walrus. Oh yeah, we got one more one? from the cheeseburger walrus. You were already moving on to your presidential trivia. Weren't I was. You? I was trying to find a good piece of trivia there. Uh, from the cheeseburger walrus, a double DQ night. Just when you think MMA can't get any more MMA, it goes and does this. I mean, I got to say, Ben, by the time you get to the uh, Michelle Pereira, Diego Sanchez uh, disqualification that we'll talk about here coming up in in round number two, uh, that's when it started to feel like kind of a letdown, right? Because you get through the uh, the Brock Weaver, Kazula Vargas DQ, and you you go to, you got a six fight main card here on Fight Night One Sixty Seven, and you get to the stuff you actually want to watch, right? And then you're like, oh, shit, another DQ? What did I just spend the last three hours of my life watching? Um, somebody asked me in my mailbag, The Athletic, this week, if the double DQ night suggests that maybe Dundasso comes with some risks that we hadn't thought of. Maybe this Dundasso is about to be put a stop to. And my point was this. You gotta employ Dundasso incrementally. Like... You got to do little shit, like grab the gloves, grab the fence to stop a takedown, poke a motherfucker in his eye, kick the groin. But you don't want to do the stuff that is so big and blatant that we have to comment on it. We have to kind of stop the fight and deal with it. You want to do the kind of fouls, ideally, where the referee just shouts out a verbal warning. Right. And it just (laughs) continues. But, like, when you knee a guy in his head while he's down... And especially if the knee does, like, visible damage. Like, either, like, the the first one, guy's basically knocked out as a result of the knee. The second one opens up a big cut, and Diego Sanchez clearly hurt from it. Stuff like that makes it tougher for people to let you off the hook. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to uh, make the, the grand gesture. No. There's a time and place for it, I will say. And <laughs> I know we will talk about Diego Sanchez, Michel Pereira later on, but, like, even during that one, where Diego Sanchez blatantly gets kneed right up in his face and he has an enormous cut on his forehead, you could see, was it Jason Herzog? Is that who the referee was yeah. in this thing? You could see him doing his best throughout to imply, hey, man, let's just keep this fight going. Yeah. We're almost done here. Uh-huh. Maybe we can get through the last two minutes yeah, of this thing. Because the first time, yeah, okay, you, you, we'll talk about it later. But like the first thing where he says like something along the lines of like not wanting to continue, and he's just like, whoa, 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 we don't need to make any decisions right now. Like, let's, <laughs> let's not be Let's hasty. give it a second. Take some time. Yeah. You can take some time. Give it a minute, see how it feels. So, you know? like, is, is, are you, if the question is, is Dundasso being diminished in the current. Uh, landscape of the UFC or MMA. Like, it seems like we are starting to get somewhat better handle on how to deal with these fouls, but at the same time, clearly everyone was facing some scrutiny and some pressure to just keep the fight going. So yeah. I still think that, you know, it's it's somewhat effective. That's right. I don't think that this is a, uh, a judgment against the art of Dundasso. It just reminds you that you need to be an artist when employing it. Yeah, you got to be careful with it. It's yeah. so powerful. It is. So you got to be careful with it. That's right. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast, stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. 
and it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one, but not before. Okay. I point out that James Garfield was the first left-handed president. Okay. That one, that one doesn't get me too fired up, I'll be honest with you. Round one, coming your way right now. Okay. Ben, this time around, it was not Corey Anderson looking into the camera to remind us that there's levels to this shit after the main event of UFC UFC Fight Night 167 from down there in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. It was, in fact, Jan Blagovitz who KOs Corey Anderson three minutes and eight seconds into round number one, an emphatic and perhaps unexpected end to the main event of this uh, Fight Night event, after which Jan Blagovitz, to his credit, goes straight over to the side of the cage and starts having one of those pointing, shouting conversations with John Jones, who does his part by climbing up on a chair and throwing his arms up as if to say, you want some, come get some. Yeah. So maybe a little bit more light heavyweight intrigue here than we were expecting. First of all, let's talk about the fight a little bit here. Jan Blakovitz, uh kind of all of the sudden, it seems like, at 36 years old, has turned into a comer at the 205-pound uh, division, he's won three in a row now, dating back, of course, to his loss against Tiago Santos in February of last year. Luke Rockhold, Jacare Souza, and Corey Anderson. So you could argue a couple middleweights there on the uh, on the win streak of Yanni Blackjack. But Corey Anderson, the, one of the presumptive uh, top contenders at this weight class. So to knock him out... Uh, gives Blagovitz perhaps the inside track here and makes him a guy uh, who's stopping people. He's yeah. doing impressive kind of highlight reel stuff in the octagon, which I feel like is something that we can't overlook at this point when we start trying to figure out what John Jones is going to do next. I just couldn't help but think about Dominic Reyes at home watching this fight. Yeah. You know, he thinks he's got the, the rematch wrapped up because he's like, you know what? Corey Anderson's going to come out here have a boring uh, five-round unanimous decision wrestling match that he's going to win over Jan Blagovitz, and then I, Dominic Reyes, am going to slip right into an immediate rematch with Johnny Bones. Then you see short little uppercut hammer fist on an already unconscious Corey Anderson he's on the mat, and then the next thing you know, Yanni Blackjack and John Jones are having a very amicable discussion about a potential title fight next, and John Jones is super into the idea. And you're going, what the fuck, man? How the hell did this happen? I came out of there feeling pretty sure that everybody wanted to see the rematch next. And John Jones immediately, after, like, the week after the fight, he was on social media kind of undermining the case for Dominic Reyes's immediate rematch hopes. Like, like in all his... As an analytical as he cared to get, like just basically breaking down the stats and why it didn't seem as why it wasn't as impressive as it seemed, why Dominic Reyes is not as deserving of why he clearly won the fight, and then 
when everybody's talking to him afterwards, like, what do you think? Jan Blackwood says he wants you next, and he thinks that he's next in line, and John Jones going, yeah, I'm into it. Like, let's do that. And as, as Dominic Ray is, here's where I guess where you've got to be hoping that the UFC will save your ass here. That the UFC will look at the the results from the last fight and be like, you know what? We think we could really sell a rematch more than we could sell Yanni Blackjack at this particular time. Before we go any further, shout out, by the way, to co-main event podcast listener Brian Mills, who wrote in this past week with a listener mail suggesting Big Yanni Blackjacks as uh, Jan Blagovitz's nickname. Clearly, we're on board. Yeah. So... Big Yanni Blackjack? I didn't even know there was a big attached well, to it. Well, yeah, I just looked it up just to make sure. This is, yeah, I'm so into this. So, and I think if you're John Jones, Ben, you can understand why he might want to kick the can down the road a little bit on uh, a Dominic Reyes rematch, especially if you look at a guy like Jan Blakovic and you think, oh, I can probably beat this guy mm-hmm. if you're John Jones. Because the thing Blakovic is doing, yeah, he's knocking people out. But at the same time, if you're John Jones, you might look at him and think, Hmm, maybe maybe like a more advantageous matchup for me than Dominic Reyes. Yeah, uh, and it just seems like John Jones has a feeling like he wants to kind of keep the line moving at this point, right? Yeah, like he can't really convince me that he's trying to avoid a Dominic Reyes fight because he's scared he'll lose. But it does seem like he's trying to be like, okay, let's move on to the part where we clean out the division and not sit around here acting like there's questions about the last fight. Instead, let's get the next one in here, check another name off the list on the whiteboard, and then start talking about if that move to heavyweight is going to be financially feasible or not. Yeah, for Jan Blagovic, you really got to admire the way he has turned it around. He came in from KSW back in 2013, beats Alir Latifi uh, in his Octagon debut, but then... You know, counting that Latifi wins, he goes two and four in his first six UFC fights. Loses to Jimmy Manua, loses to Corey Anderson, loses to Alexander Gustafson, loses to Patrick Cummins, and then since then he's gone seven and one in his next eight. So, uh, including a, a like a handful of fight of the night and performance of the night bonuses here along the way. So for a guy who is probably getting down toward, you know, the end of his high level athletic life. Jan Blagovic, he's, he's doing something right. He found some answer there back in about 2017, because since then, aside from this TKO loss to Tiago Santos during a time when Tiago Santos was TKOing a bunch of people, uh, he's been pretty good. He's been, he's been, I'll say better than that, he's been very, very good. Well, and he's improved fights. a whole lot. You can just see that he's gotten better. And people always get excited about that because they assume that you will just continue getting better endlessly. And, I don't know. Even after watching him knock out Corey Anderson, did you come away going, okay, I think he presents a real threat to John Jones? Or is it more, this would be something new? It's not the former. And that's why I said, I think if you're John Jones, you can understand why he would be like, all right, let's do this. Because John Jones probably feels like he could beat Jan Blagovic and then still cash in on a Dominic Reyes rematch at some point down the road. Uh, but. I mean, maybe, maybe we just continue to underestimate Jan Blagovic, like, and that the kind of rocky start to his UFC career might have a lot to do with it. Like I said, he's been very good over the last couple of years and, you know, has been stopping people. So he's got, counting the Corey Anderson knockout, he's got two KOs in his last three fights. Of course, the Jocker fight was kind of a stinker, but at the same time, uh, you know, he's been very, very good. And he seems, just physically seems like less of an imposing matchup. 
yeah. for John Jones than Dominic Reyes. And he's seen, Blagovic seems like in the mold of guys that we, we would be more used to seeing Jones kind of clean up on, you know, in previous fights. Uh, if you had to lay odds what the UFC is going to do next. There's one thing for John Jones to say, hey, sure, I'll take that fight. And Jan Blackwood says, he said afterwards that he will not accept any other fight that's not for the title. That And if if they don't give him the title shot after this, he'll wait. He'll wait as long as he... I think his exact wording was something along the lines of, I have other stuff to do, so I won't get bored. I can wait. And then you get the UFC thinking about what to do next with John Jones. If you had to lay odds... What do you think the UFC would like here? In terms of the light heavyweight division, doesn't it seem like Dominic Reyes is probably the the matchup to make just because I think he did so well in the first fight that the rematch probably draws a lot of interest, maybe from people who didn't watch the first fight and found out like, oh shit, John Jones almost lost. Like definitely give me the Dominic Reyes rematch. I feel like if you are the UFC and the bottom line is going to dictate what you do, Making that striking while the iron's hot and making that fight seems like w- what they would want to do. Yeah, if everyone's healthy and, and willing to do it. I agree. Because Bl- Jones versus Blagovitz is probably a uh, like that's more of a low end John Jones uh, pay per view event. Yeah, definitely. And you could still do that one nine months from now, and it doesn't lose a whole lot. What do we think about Corey Anderson here, Ben? Like he had won four in a row. After the TKO win over Johnny Walker at UFC 244 in November, uh, he had kind of started to turn up the volume a little bit on his personality. He was was seemingly starting to play the game a little bit just in terms of, of making yourself marketable and trying to get fights comes out. He's, he's the, uh, the betting favorite in this fight. He was, he was picked to win this. And then Jan Blagovitz knocks him out, knocks him cold uh, in three minutes and eight seconds. How devastating do you think this is for Corey Anderson's, prospects as a uh, a light heavyweight contender it ain't great nope <laughs> you could go to the back of the line now and i mean who knows what can happen at light heavyweight because yeah. the, the division is kind of thin anyway and john jones has cleaned out a lot of it so you know you get back in there you win one or two more you keep the phone on and you stay ready who knows uh, an injury here or there and you might find yourself right back in the picture sooner rather than later but this did seem like this was going to be the best chance for Corey Anderson to really earn a shot and yeah. make that point. I mean, if he'd won five in a row, everybody was kind of already looking at this fight as, okay, here's a potential fight to find out if, uh, like, find out who's going to be John Jones's next uh, title contender. And to get knocked out in the first round like that, that just throws cold water all over the plants. Yeah, especially against a guy you already beat once. Yeah. So it's not great for Corey Anderson. I agree. All right, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we can move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I'm going to read you a quote. This is from Israel Adesanya's coach, Eugene Berriman, uh, talking to Submission Radio. This is a quote I found this on. Oh, this is going to be my Are You Fucking Kidding Me too? Is this about how we're going after Miocic? Yes. All right, we're in agreement then. The same Are You Fucking Kidding Me, (laughs) which rarely happens, but I think maybe you had uh, an obvious choice this week. Israel stated, and I think it's a very good plan, he's going to do his thing in the middleweight division. There's some really tough challenges. He should clear those out. There's at least three or four more good challenges, but three or four more fights for Israel is like maybe within this year. So after that, what's the next challenge? For him, and we've done it on all the sports that we've participated in, it's move up and wait. And trust me, if he has these three or four more middleweight fights, we will push to fight Stipe 100%. 
you fucking kidding me, man? You fucking kidding we're me? We're doing this already? Now, see, that's the thing. Like, everybody loves Israel Adesanya. Yeah. We're not here to say bad things about Israel Adesanya. I think, like, obviously, the sky's the limit for this guy, it seems like. And respect the ambition. Yeah, absolutely. the vision. At the same time. Yes. <laughs> how about this? Let's beat Yoel Romero first. Yeah. Let's defend the middleweight belt once. At least once. And then we'll start dreaming about future match. Also, it was already a little bit of a stretch when it was like, okay, Israel Adesanya and John Jones are talking about moving up weight and that. Now we're just going to skip that one? Yeah. We're going to skip right to, to Stipe? Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Seems a little ambitious. Yeah. Is it just... Are we running out of things to talk about? Is that how this happens? Maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of a slap in the face to John Jones, as if to say, "We don't need you. We'll we'll go get even bigger fish." Well, the, he actually does say that at a later point in the quote, where he's like, uh, "You know, talking about moving up the town, Stipe." He says, "There's just so much that we have to put our concentration into now that it's on the back burner. It's in the back of our minds." So yeah, let's see if that hurries along, John Jones. Okay. So yeah. we tipped our hand a little, a little bit at the end. A little bit. You fucking kidding me. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, there we were in the co-main event, third round. Things were not going so great for your dude, Diego Sanchez. Nope. Things were, it was kind of a disaster, let's be honest. While he came out strong, strutting around, as has been noted earlier on this podcast. By came out strong, you mean before the fight started. Like a damn peacock. Yes, that is exactly what I mean. Before the fight started. Diego Sanchez, a real regal air to him. Yeah. As he pranced about the cage with his chest out. But then, almost as soon as the fight started, after his initial getting a little crazy kind of front roll, um, it became clear that Michel Piera was much bigger than he was, much faster, and just had him kind of surrounded in terms of technique. And it did not help that Diego Sanchez seemed to have adopted a like an invisible force field kind of style where he's just going to put his lead hand way out there and hope that like chi power will essentially create a, an energy shield to keep you from getting to him. Yeah. And that did not work out. We talked before about how we mentioned it on Friday's power hour. You said what you really want to see out of Diego Sanchez is for him to show up with a high school wrestling coach with a, like a, a white towel tucked into his sweatsuit and a, a whistle stopwatch around his neck and get back to those kind of core fundamentals. Diego Sanchez, the guy who takes people down, elbows them in the face. And instead, we did the exact opposite, where we have a guy who basically seems to be a martial arts charlatan as his lone corner man. Like the kind of people, like the dudes you see on Facebook videos showing you how to defend against knife attacks and shit like that, and like taking on multiple attackers with the power of their minds. Like he is just one or two steps removed from that. And he is the one guy running the show, like the only coach. It seems that Diego Sanchez even brings with him to these things. And so you, you have a lot of things going against Diego already in this fight. 
that, for one thing, I love the moment when Trevor Whitman goes in there to listen to the car, the oh, commentary God. between least, rounds. I mean, like that's where it got. I mean, it was already kind of like a, a, a questionable strategy on the part of Diego Sanchez. It was our, we as we were sitting there watching at home, we, we, we were already like, okay, this is weird. Like, what's happening here? Then Trevor Whitman, the nicest guy, yeah. <laughs> in the in the landscape, the nicest guy on the UFC broadcast gets on there, and I really like, by the way the addition of Trevor Whitman yeah. to the UFC broadcast. I think he does a great job. But to get Trevor Whitman on there basically being like, I've known Diego Sanchez for a long time and I have no idea what to say about this was the moment where it was just like, okay, this has gone from like bad to troubling. It seemed after he listened to the the corner audio, like he came away questioning reality itself. Like just not sure what, what was even going on over there. Yeah. And so then Diego Sanchez is clearly on his way to losing this fight, probably by decision, but he's also getting beat up there with about two minutes left in it. And he's taken a series of knees. He goes down. And after he is clearly down, Michelle Pereira knees him right in the fucking head. Yeah. Opens up a cut high up on his forehead. And it's clearly a damaging knee and clearly an illegal knee. Jason Herzog stops the action, moves into neutral corners, we wipe off the blood, we're asking Diego Sanchez if he can see, if he wants to continue. As you said, Jason Herzog going to, when you when the answer seems to be maybe no, you don't want to continue, he's going to give you some time to reconsider that answer. Yeah. Even the doctor who came in there and wiped the blood away, and then when Diego is saying that he can't see and is suggesting doesn't want to continue... The doctor is kind of raising his eyebrows a little bit at Jason Herzog. You could see him being like, well, he says he can't see. You know, like no people, it seems, are immediately not totally buying it. And even yeah. the way that Diego Sanchez explains it where he's like, no, it was an illegal shot. Like it seemed like the unstated part of what he's saying is, no, I'm not going to continue and just let him get away with it because it was an illegal blow and a damaging one. And Diego Sanchez is a savvy vet. Yeah. Now, is this the right move for if you're Diego Sanchez here? Do you make this same decision? Because it's it seems like such a weird thing. We've talked before about the reason Dundasso works is because the pressure is on the guy who's been fouled. Yeah. Everybody wants to see that guy continue. And if you don't, then they're gonna boo you. And Diego Sanchez is gonna get the most benefit of the doubt, especially he's in Rio Rancho, like with his fans there. And everybody knows Diego Sanchez is an absolute shit-eating wild man for MMA. Like, if there's anybody who already has a reputation that will protect him against accusations of being a quitting coward, it's Diego Sanchez. Yeah. And yet, when he does say he doesn't want to continue, you know what's going to happen next. Like, you you know the Twitter feed is going to light up with a bunch of people saying he quit. Yeah, well, then didn't he come out, like, at the, I think it might have been at the post-fight press conference or after the event and say, I know the game and I got my money or whatever he said. He made some statement, I think. I thought he went to the hospital afterwards, right? Oh, maybe right? so. Uh, well, you made this point in your uh, uh, post-fight column for The Athletic, and it, it, I'm just going to bring it up again, uh, that it seems bizarre that the MMA – that like the culture of MMA asks these guys to uh, make decisions that are patently against their best interests. Yeah. Because for Diego Sanchez, it's not just like, do you want to continue the last two minutes of this fight that you are obviously going to lose? It's, do you only want to get half your money? Yeah. Assuming that he has 
kind of like the, a boilerplate structure in his UFC deal, which, which he, he has up until this point. I mean, the last two fights he had were in Vegas, so we were able to see. And he signed a new contract before this one, but those ones, he definitely was on win show money and win money. So there's no reason to think that the UFC restructured and was like, you know what? We'll give you the all show money contract that everybody seems to want. So yeah. let's go ahead and operate on that assumption. Yeah. And so to continue, and let's be let's let's remember it's not Diego Sanchez that put himself in this uh, in this position. It's that uh, it was me Michelle Pereira for landing the illegal knee, which seemed pretty blatant to me. It was a thing that was like made me think that like it's 2020. And Michelle Pereira and other people are out here fighting like we still don't know the rules. And so Diego Sanchez, like, I think it's fully understandable to think that he would take the DQ and get the his win bonus and basically walk off into the sunset until he, you know, three months later when he comes back. It's only a questionable decision within the spectrum of mixed martial arts. Yeah. Where we expect... Diego Sanchez to be bound by honor or like the brawl or like a gameness kind of to be like, yes, I will under all circumstances continue this fight where I'm only going to. And for Diego Sanchez, it's probably like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, That's about what he was on before he signed the, re- he was making around like a hundred grand to show a hundred grand to win. So for, I think that like in reality, in the real world, it's perfectly understandable for Diego Sanchez to make this choice to get the second half of his money and walk away with the win. It's only weird because of the spectrum of mixed martial arts and additionally because it's Diego Sanchez. Like, as far as I'm concerned, Diego Sanchez has been in the game long enough to have earned the right to, like, take that money and not have me be like, well, I think he quit. Because, like, we've seen him in situations where almost any mortal would quit and he's still out there doing the damn thing. But I think it speaks to like maybe kind of the weird place that he's in mentally and emotionally. Cause it seems like a not Diego Sanchez style move to walk away from the fight. Yeah. But if that's the case, then I am more optimistic about Diego Sanchez's future as a result of it, because that's the smarter move. It's a dumb move. If you're in that situation to be like, or yeah, no, like I don't want people to be mad at me, so I will continue this fight. I will make half as much money. And especially if you were Diego Sanchez's financial advisor and you're looking at uh, the difference of $100,000 around there probably, how many more of those paychecks are there for Diego Sanchez in this yeah. sport? Yeah. Like he's on the new fight-fight deal with the UFC, but it does seem like the end could be right around the corner for Diego Sanchez at any time, even if he moves on to another promotion after that. But, you get the sense that there's not going to be a whole lot of high dollar fights for Diego Sanchez, just not like an endless amount. So when you have this money here and what do you owe these people at this point? Like you put in nearly three full rounds, the other guy, he needs you in the head when you were clearly down. What do you owe to any of them? Just to be like, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll just like play out the last two minutes of this fight. Cause it puts you in such a disadvantage. It's like, you're supposed to go out there and be like, Oh no, I, I'll believe until the last minute that I can still win this fight. And maybe he does. And maybe, like, that possibility definitely exists. But he has done nothing to that point in that fight to be able to give you a sense that he can hurt Michel Pereira. And it's not like getting kneed in the head super hard while you're down on the ground and getting your head cut open improves your chances to pull off a last-second knockout. 
Yeah. He's behind the eight ball in just every possible way here. So for him to say to be able to say, like, you know what? No, I'm not going to just give this guy a pass on an illegal knee and let him get the win, let him collect his win bonus. And basically, he committed a foul that had, like, an actual physical consequences for me, and there's going to be no real punishment. Like, he'll get the point taken away, whatever, but it won't matter in the end. And think about if he had continued. What what the upside would have been for Diego Sanchez. What would have happened is the commentators would have been like, well, that's Diego Sanchez for you. What a tough guy. The crowd would have cheered. Everybody would have been like, yeah, Diego Sanchez isn't going to quit. He'll take your legal knee. He's going to continue going on. And then the next fight, big Yanni Blackjack is going to knock out Corey Anderson. We're going to get super swept up in that. And by the next day, we're not really talking about Diego Sanchez being a super tough guy anymore. Because we already thought of him as a super tough guy. It's not like it's groundbreaking information that he proves us right there. Like, within a day or two, this moves out of the news cycle completely. People yeah. will look back on that fight and they won't even remember the illegal knee. Yeah. Like, the 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 upside of it just isn't there for you. Plus, like, and this is one of the points I tried to make in that column, was like, if you want to tell us, you want to tell people like, hey, for the sake of honor and respect and everything, he should, to get the respect of the fans, he should continue with the fight if he's physically capable of it. But then, if you can be a tough guy your entire career for 15 fucking years in the UFC, the way Diego Sanchez was, and then one night you decide you don't want to just let an illegal knee slide and you'd rather have $100,000, and if that's all it takes for people to be like, no, screw you, you're a coward, we hate you, well, then what good was the respect anyway if it, if it was that easily thrown away? Yeah. I Like... I think 0% of the people who are criticizing Diego Sanchez would make a different choice in his position. Because like, yeah. the choice is, do you want to continue to get beat up for two minutes, two more minutes and then get $100,000 less? Or do you want to be done right now and get $100,000 more? Pretty easy choice to make. Yeah, I will say, though, I think that everybody thinks where Diego Sanchez is at right now is pretty troubling. And I think that his association with the breathing guy is troubling. I don't necessarily think the corner advice was all that weird. I went back and listened to it and read the transcript. It seems like the guy is trying to give Diego Sanchez some advice of how to go out there and, and do better in the fight. But at the same time, he's not really giving him any technical advice unless the stuff that they were saying in their weird codes, think of the shadow uh, and V-drill is some technical advice. Okay. But like, it's not the worst corner advice I've ever heard. I'll say that. But... Telling him he won the first round, maybe. Is That's not so pretty great. bad. But again, we've seen that before. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing with Diego Sanchez right now reminds me of when I talked to him like five years ago. And he had just come back from California after his first period of uh, uh, like falling out with Jackson Winklejohn. And he went and tried to do his own thing in California. And he didn't really have a camp. Got on that stevia, right? He got on the stevia. He was like driving all over Southern California to train. He didn't really have a camp. And like he got swindled in a business deal. Somebody stole a ton of money from him. Yeah. And like I think we know what like throughout 18 years of dealing with Diego Sanchez is like kind of what he's like. He's kind of impressionable, it seems. You know, he can fall into these phases of like he's super into stevia. Yes, he'll give you a bunch of money for your investment scam. Like, yeah, he's not going to really be all of that organized and doing his own camp. I feel like depending on Diego, where Diego Sanchez is at mentally when his career is over, he will look back on at least these last two fights when he's been with the breathing guy and he's going to be like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, why, why did I fall under the spell of this guy? Because he just seems 
completely unprepared. Yeah. Like when you watch him out there with Michelle Pereira, he wasn't even barely fighting and he wasn't doing the things that if you're Diego Sanchez might work against Michelle Pereira. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked me also in the mailbag with it, like, does the UFC have a responsibility or should the UFC have a responsibility to step in and be like, Hey, look, man, we're concerned about your choice of coach. Cause on one hand, you're, these guys are independent contractors. You yeah. don't really have any official or legal basis for ha- even having an opinion on who they train with. Like, you can't tell them, you know, we don't like your coach. We think you should get a different coach. I mean, you could unofficially suggest it, I guess. Yeah. You could find like a, you could pull them aside and well, be like, look, man, you, you, know you somebody see like this is not a White good idea, right? not going to have any qualms about unofficially suggesting something, right? Hey, he'll, he'll call a damn conference call just to tell you that your sport, your, your coach is a sport killer. So, it's not like it's unprecedented for him, but do you think that the UFC should, in the, like a back channel, like unofficial kind of way, say to Diego Sanchez, "This guy is not good for you, and if you are smart, you'll dump him and you'll get with a real camp." Actually, yes, I do kind of think that, and especially like they could have him come train at the PI. You know, mm-hmm. they they like I, I I feel like I say it all the time now, but like the UFC is kind of in a unique position to to solve these problems in the sport. Ultimately, you can't make Diego Sanchez do anything he doesn't want to do. But I feel like he will regret this later. He will look back on on his time with this coach and be like, "Man, what was I doing? Like, why was I why was I involved with this guy?" Because you know, we can all take our worries about Diego Sanchez about like his mental state and like the future of of you know what kind of life he will have after fighting and things like that. And all of that is somewhat speculative because as weird as Diego Sanchez is, like. Right now, he seems still fully mentally and physically capable of fighting. It's just that, like, especially in this fight, he went out there and, like, appeared to have no plan. Appeared to have no strategy. Didn't do any of the things that... I mean, like, Diego Sanchez fights a perfect game plan against Michel Pereira. He might still lose. Yeah. But he didn't do any of the stuff that he could have done to even be successful. And that makes me wonder, just like, you know, again, what is he doing? Like, what's the what's the camp like? What's the game planning like? Who are the training partners? Are there training partners? If you're only going to bring one guy to the event, I don't know, man. The whole thing is just, that's what's troubling about Diego Sanchez to me right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Before becoming president, Gerald Ford once worked as a fashion model. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, that's what it says on the website. Now I'm convinced that this website is just all bullshit. What does it say? I see one for George W. Bush down there. Oh, yeah. George W. Bush once owned the Texas Rangers baseball Well, everybody knows that. That's that's true. Is Barack Obama's section blank? No, there's a lot. There's a bunch of uh, Barack Obama. Oh, way down there. Yeah, his favorite films are Casablanca and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Well, okay. His no. favorite book is Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Now, that's a lie. Nobody's favorite book is Moby Dick. That does seem... I, I question that one. But ben, at least his favorite book is not one that he had ghostwritten for him. <laughs> for the first time in several years, the Octagon is headed down there to Auckland, New Zealand. We're going to get a lightweight main event 
pitting Paul Felder against Dan Hooker. You got yourself a six-fight main card, as is, I guess, the way with these uh, fight night cards. This is fight night 168, ESPN plus 26. This one is going to go down in the middle of the day on Saturday here in the United States of America. I believe we've got a 5 p.m. start time for the main card in the one true time zone, which I will not argue with at this stage. But here we are with a uh, one of these fight night cards that's going to give us a main event that is probably going to be fun to watch. I think Paul Felder and Dan Hooker are likely to, uh, you know, give us give us what we want to see. But you just look at this whole card, and it leaves the impression, at least to me, that I'm not sure what's going on here. Okay. I don't, well, I'm not sure what's at stake. I know what's going on. A bunch of fights. Above and beyond that, I'm not sure what the fights mean. Okay. And so say more about that, because do you feel like the UFC goes down to Auckland and it's like, okay, we what we really got to give them is a lot of fights with clear narratives about what these fights are for and whatever thing means. Or what we need is some locals on the card and a couple like notable names and fun matchups. And then Bob's your uncle. We pack up the, oct- the octagon and move on because we're going to sell this shit out just by us being the UFC right. and not going there very Probably often. that. It's probably that. But yeah. at the same time, for the rest of us, as we have said a lot, I think, over the past several years, it feels like we are changing the very fabric of what we're doing in this sport, right? To, like, give us a card like this, which I think will, will be perfectly fun to watch, but I'm not sure what any of the winners stand to gain besides the second half of their money. Uh, especially with... The main event, which is traditionally, even even by this new kind of, uh, the new normal in UFC uh, fight cards, like usually you get a main event that is in some way relevant. In some way it plays into the overall narrative or title picture in the division. Obviously things at lightweight are more crowded than perhaps any other division, but I'm just not sure what a win over Dan Hooker does for Paul Felder. And I'm not totally sure what a win over Paul Felder does for Dan Hooker. You will recall, Dan Hooker was trying to talk himself into a much bigger matchup Yeah. earlier on. He is one of these guys. He is also 6-1 uh, and one in his last seven with wins over James Vick and Ally Quinta in his last two. Lost to Edson Barboza back in December of 2018. But, you know, Dan Hooker is one of these guys who feels like he is on the verge of contendership. I believe he wanted to fight Dustin Poirier after his, his win over Iaquinta, but of course Poirier has had some injuries and it feels like he has bigger fish to fry. To go out there and like, let's say Dan Hooker beats Paul Felder, I'm just not sure, man. Like, I'm not sure how meaningful that is in the grand scheme of things. Well, I noticed the UFC when putting together a promo package for this fight that aired during this last fight night, reached back for that moment where Dan Hooker in the post-fight interview uh, basically in a very, very respectful way, called out Paul Felder. And that was, that. I remember that being an awesome moment. I also remember it being like, what, like a year and a half, two years ago. So, like it was not recent. Right. And we had all kind of forgotten about it. And then it's like, okay, you, you run out of better ideas. And so you match these two up. And then suddenly that becomes a thing you want to talk about again. Fine. I The thing that lightweight is in right now, though, is... Kind of like we've talked about with heavyweight, where the next plans for the belt aren't officially solidified yet, even though everybody kind of knows what it's probably going to be. Yeah. Well. well it's not going to be Paul Filder or Dan Hooker, no matter what happens. Right. 
and so, so everybody else is. I mean, we got the we got the one fight booked. Nermi versus uh, Tony Ferguson. We all are holding our breath, waiting to see if that's even going to happen. If it does happen, there's uh, a good chance Conor McGregor ends up fighting the winner. And then you're putting off the next question of like, who is deserving in the ranking, stuff like that. Like, what is the the contender picture? All that stuff you're putting off a long ways away. And so in the meantime... It's kind of like, what else can you do yeah. except put together some fights that seem like they will be fun right now? Yeah. Because how meaningful a, a path forward can you craft for anybody when it's like, okay, hey, if you put yourself in contendership right now, like where everybody's going, this guy, I want to see this guy fight for a title. Yeah, okay, maybe in a year there will be an opening. Anyway, Justin Gaethje is ahead of you in line no matter what you do. Yeah. So you might as well just put together some fights where you're like, okay. I'll, I'll have a good time watching this, and I won't have to think too hard about what it means. Yeah, and it's not that I object to those fights happening, because clearly everybody needs to keep getting paid, and uh, we need to continue having 155-pound fights, and so Paul Hooker, or I'm sorry, Paul Felder against Dan Hooker is is not a bad fight. I think the thing that I object to is it being the main event, because that's that's where you get into like a, a very different feeling sport than what we had a handful of years ago. And like it even has a different feel than uh, Corey Anderson versus Jan Blagovitz. It has a different feel than the men's flyweight title fight that's coming up the week after. This one is just it's like a uh, it's a lightweight fight that features one guy from Auckland. Yeah. Who is like maybe the best fighter out of Auckland at the moment. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's also just not like the what we have what we expect from the UFC. And it's maybe not why we like the UFC, really. Well, when you're running events every weekend eventually you're going to get to one where the main event is basically just the fight that comes last yeah and that's what we we've arrived at that point <laughs> that's what we'll be thinking when we're watching but then kevin aguilar versus zabera tukogov brad riddell versus magomed mustafev ben sasoli versus marcos rogerio de lima uh again though the I don't want to say lowered expectations, but different expectations that comes with, for us, this being a fight card that goes down on a Saturday afternoon on ESPN+. Plus, Which, got to give credit to them, the last ESPN Plus card where we're moving the pacing right along. You know, the I always appreciate that, where we're not dragging stuff out endlessly the way we used to do on Fox Sports 1 broadcasts. And so it's like, you know, it's kind of a low-impact fight card to begin with. It's just like... We're going to do it at a weird time. It's going to be over pretty early, and we're going to get it done pretty quickly. All right, I will sit through a lot of stuff if you respect my time in such a fashion. Yeah, I guess if you're going to do it, you might as well give it to me with an early start time in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. That's what I can say positively for it. Yeah. Did you know that the White House was painted white the year James Monroe became president? I did not know that. That's when it became the White House. Why? President's Day trivia. Why did it only get painted white then? I don't know. Before that, it was probably blue or something. No, it's a blue house. I don't think so. I don't think that's true at all. All right. You want to do uh, Just Saying Stuff, then we'll get out of here for this week? Yes. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Chad, I'm just looking around at the MMA headlines the way I do, and I read headlines like this. Mark Goddard defends Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington stoppage. Colby Covington says he had food poisoning before Kamara Usman fight. On and on in this fashion. Chad, I'm just saying, we gotta let it go. We gotta let it go, man. 
<laughs> that one's over and done with. Been over and done with for a little while. We all had a good time. Let's move the fuck on. I don't want to hear anybody talking about it anymore. Well, you're done just talking about that fight? In this fashion. We can talk about the fight. It was clear. It happened. Everybody knows. We all saw what happened there. We don't need to still be sitting around here relitigating Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington in the court of public opinion. I'm just saying. Stop talking about it. Yeah. Move on. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, I'm just saying this week, I was doing the same thing. I was out here cruising around the uh, MMA headlines. I was reading this story about Alberto Del Rio. Like you do. Like you do. I'm going through it. It's about him and Tito, how they fought, all this stuff. And I get to this quote. Remember they have the uh, the side wager? That they That's were right gonna, with the belts. Yeah. yeah. This is the quote about Alberto Del Rio and his WWE belt, which he had to give to Tito Ortiz after he lost right. their fight in their MMA fight in Combatas America. I still have that void because I had that belt framed and hanged on a shelf, Del Rio said. It was very nice and it was the original, but I had to give it to him because that was the deal. I gave him my word as a man. So yeah, right now I'm having a replica made so I can have a copy. So at least I can have that memory on my wall. Oh, I guess I'm just saying, man, I didn't expect to like get hit right in the heart. (laughs) I'm reading a story about Alberto Del Rio, but it happened. Alberto Del Rio has figured out a way to fuck around and come on my timeline and make me sad. Just saying. How? Why didn't he have the replica belt made beforehand and give that one to Tito, who would not have known the difference? Okay, see, this is why we need to have our consulting business. Yeah. Because now I have to have this image in my mind of Alberto Del Rio sitting at home watching TV in the uh, in the Del Rio bunker, and he keeps looking over at this empty frame with nothing in it. He has this pang of sadness. You can see the outline of where the belt used yeah, to be. Yes, yeah. Oh, that, that gets you. Just saying. Just saying. In any case, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks for hanging around with us. Uh, we will be back a week from today with another episode of the CME. We'll look back on uh, UFC Fight Night 168 down there in Auckland, tell you what happened between Paul Felder and Dan Hooker. And then we will begin to look ahead also to... Uh, this fight night 169 card from uh, Norfolk, Virginia, where we're gonna we're gonna put the flyweight strap on somebody. Ben, uh, Joseph Benavidez and Davison Figueredo are gonna fight for the uh, currently vacant 125 pound title. So at least that will have some headline uh, quality. Don't forget we're gonna be doing Patreon content the rest of the week. Wednesday we'll have the live chat. I believe voting also ends for the next movie club selection on that day. So if you have a uh, a choice as to if you want to watch Parasite or if you want to watch Digstown. Digstown. Go over to the uh, Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon page. Cast your vote there. Uh, and then coming up again on Friday, we will have the uh, the Power Hour. So a full slate of Patreon content this week. And then a week from today, we're back with another CME proper. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know, I have some presents for you. Do you? Yeah. Um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated by a man who did not act alone. I don't know if you knew that. That's, see, that's... There was a conspiracy. That's, now you're starting to do your own... That's not... Remember at the beginning of the show when I said I was going to repeat... You know Lee Harvey Verifiable facts? He defected to the Soviet Union, Chad, after being an Air Force uh, radio man. Uh, And then, when he decided he wanted to come back to the United States, they let him back just right away. That's weird. This just, is just, why. Just I see. Go on, come on back, guys. Just defected to the Soviet Union, our most bitter enemy, and just 
go on about your life here in the United States and we will leave you totally alone because we don't have any connection with you and there's not anything weird going on here. This is, why, this is why I handle the presidential trivia. On the days when the CME falls on President's Day, I do the trivia so we don't wander off into an Oliver Stone movie. Verifiable presidential facts. You won't answer the question. That's what we're into here.